Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts and sometimes their dog are ranking every alternative music album from the 1990s. As always, I'm your host Natalie and I'm here with my co-host Hadrian. How are you doing tonight, Hadrian? Oh, not so bad. Yeah, uh, better than last week. Things things seem a little less fucked up. And we're still fucked, but hey, what, what, still, what can you do? Still fucked, but hey, some changes might be happening. Let's get the world of fucking puppers. So, um, and hey, we also don't have to do any lengthy apologetics for either of the artists we're including on this week's show. Mm-mm. And we won't have to do another one for Morrissey ever, so hey! Yeah, yeah, that segment was a bitch to do and a bitch to edit. And I'm sure nobody liked to listen to it either. So, um, but hey, we're back this week with two albums that are not Morrissey and uh, are not as problematic as Morrissey, though not completely non-problematic, as we'll uh, find out right away. Oh. And in fact, we're just going to kick it off. Let's just get right into it. Um, first album we're talking about this week is uh, Whirly Gig by the Caulfields. This one is from 1995. It sounds it. It definitely sounds it. I said last week this might be the most 90s album that we ever do. It's also the most I love J.D. Salinger's book, the only J.D. Salinger book anyone's ever read, besides Natalie. If it, I've read them all, but yeah. Um, yeah, well, <clears throat> I would say the Caulfields are well-versed in all of the books you read in high school. Mm. And... Um, Except maybe The Scarlet Letter, because I feel they could have learned some things from that book. Yeah, so this album this album is not uh, free of sexism. This album is misogynistic as fuck. I like, would not go that far, but it, it's, it is sexist. When, 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 you, when you absolutely just declare a whole spectrum of woman stupid for the music that they listen to, you're, you're not a good... Not a good lyricist, for one. And uh, I thought maybe of, so we say on this show frequently that that the perspective of a song is not necessarily the values of the person singing the song. However, when you keep doing the same shit across multiple songs in a single album, I begin to wonder if you maybe have a strange view of women. And I definitely have that about the li- whoever wrote the lyrics for these Caulfield songs. Uh, that would be John Fay. Ah, oh, yes. Also um, the singer, yes? Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so, yeah, the Caulfields are a band that there's, like, not a lot of information on them. Um, they sound like they exist to be in the background of a Friends episode. Yeah. Actually, they are on several soundtracks, one of which is the soundtrack for the Babysitter's Club movie. I don't know which song was on on that album, but... Do you have any other references to what soundtracks they're on? Oh, no. I I glanced Uh, at at that section of Wikipedia. I I was trying to find anything about about them or John Fay, and it's, it's hard. Even his website has a bio, but it's, like, fairly vague. He... Apparently he's writing a memoir right now, though. Well, I am so. going to read that memoir. <laughs> um, so yeah, John Fay, the singer of the Caulfields, if you have only heard the Caulfields and not seen a picture of them, John Fay is 
exactly the opposite of what you're imagining if you've only heard his voice. He is like a short, kind of kind of chubby Asian guy. And he sounds like a dispossessed tall blonde guy. Yes. This is exactly what I used to think. Um there was this band a local band when I was I was probably around like thirteen or fourteen. I was like a little too young to really be able to go to shows by myself. But I knew some so I was in a band and had some friends who were older, like quite a bit older than me, who also had a band in town and they let us record in their space. And they introduced me to this local band called B. B-E. And they were like the super pretentious college rock band. You don't say. And that's what the Caulfields have always kind of reminded me. Like the singer definitely sounded just like John Fay. And um, the lyrics were not as good as the Caulfields' lyrics. That's, um, man, that that is a dirty sentence if they knew. The the Caulfield's lyrics are not as bad as you're going to argue that they are. They're not great, but they're not. I mean, bad. they. Um, no, you don't even know my whole argument. So, let let me let me unwrap my. Okay, whole. let's describe the band a little bit more, just because I bet there's a lot of people who have never heard them before. Um, so they're very like '80s power pop. But also, I feel if you mix Weezer and the Bare Naked Ladies. You get this band. I would say if you mix the Smithereens and Elvis Costello, you get this band. I don't. Don't, nowhere, don't you get you get the blessed you get the sainted sainted name of Elvis Costello out of your goddamn he mouth. He kind of sings like Elvis Costello. No, That's he does not. That's the only reason I'm saying that. He it's not the lyrics. Elvis Costello's lyrics are obviously way way better. Oh but man, it, I didn't think I was gonna have to whip out the <laughs> that Elvis Costello. But mostly defense. they sound like the Smithereens. They sound fucking exactly like the Smithereens. I don't know, because um, like, to me, there was like enough like bare naked, like, bare naked Ladies and what the fuck is that band that was like, I hate Chinese food makes me sick. I thought that was the Bare Naked Ladies. No, it's a different band. Fuck, I don't know. I hate the Bare Naked Ladies so fucking much. I so, so you haven't engaged you. with them enough to know that like the, the way he's writing, the way that these songs sound is like if it was just slightly poppier. And see, I disagree. I think that's see. I think comparing this band to the Bare Naked Ladies is an insult to the Caulfields and and their like I mean, comparative you, lyrical genius. You would say that, but many people love the Bare Naked Ladies. I've met those people, and they have bad taste in everything. Whoa! One of them listens to the podcast, and I know it, and I'm going to hear about it. Well, I can't help everybody. Oh man! Listen to the Caulfields instead; they're way better. Any, but yeah, for me, that's what I think they sound like. They sound like if you mix Weezer, Weezer's are like more upbeat numbers with the Bare Naked Ladies, and then just shove nineteen ninety five up the up the album's ass, and like that's kind of what this album sounds like. It's if you have not listened to the song "No One Else" by Weezer since the nineties. That song is a thousand times more problematic than anything on this Caulfield's album. Oh, yeah, no, it's a bad song. LFO was the group I was thinking about. The song's called Summer Girls. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a late 90s thing that I didn't listen to. Uh, yes, 1999. Yeah. Well, guess what we're doing on this podcast now. So, I, so I do, I see where you're coming from with Weezer. It, it is, like... It's two different kinds of nerds because mm-hmm. the Caulfields are very like book nerds, but like 
not very good books and Weezer are like nerd nerds but they're a little too into being nerds yeah a a little too upset that lesbians exist and uh yeah Uh, anyway i'm not gonna drag weezer in this podcast i have many other podcasts Uh, yeah drag weezer um (laughs) we'll have our opportunities i i like weezer just fine i'm not gonna drag them that much when we eventually talk about them but yeah this this album is fine but it is so dated that it's almost unlistenable if you're not looking at it through a the frame of its decade because if i would not put a single goddamn one of these songs on a if unless i was doing a shit that makes you hate the 90s <laughs> playlist and again i don't hate this album it's just i want to i want to pull your rickshaw all over the town is a lyric that keeps repeating in my fucking head and that's and the thing it's written like this like nice pop ballad of just like so 90s had its very was the prop was the time where like the chorus like verse chorus bridge chorus thing was 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 happening like super hardcore and this song is just that the, all of the lyrics in this song are staged to start swelling into this radio playable just like epic and it's the same thing green day i was gonna throw green day into that whole mixture of the we- weezer renegade Legati- ladies and green day all one big soup you get this band um because Green Day and Ladder Green Day, they really did that. They were really focused on this is the lyric that's going to get the radio play and get people to listen to the song again. And the Caulfields are just slightly to the right of that working. Yeah, so I mean, Rickshaw is not a ballad. I no, mean, a but it's it's a upbeat. it's it's a pop it's a poppy just like it's supposed to be a radio hit. Like that's what that was trying to be. Yeah. So. Yeah, speaking of like being a radio hit, like Rickshaw in particular, so several songs on this album sound or it, or the album sounds like it has like several different producers. I don't know if you yeah, noticed that, but I can like that. And one of them produce produces everything to sound like you taped it off the radio, and Rickshaw really sounds like it has the like super hot compression that radio stations use. Um, so this is an, another, this is this week's edition of Natalie's Producer Corner. Um, <laughs> and like some of the songs like, uh, Awake on Wednesday sounds more like a, I mean, it sounds like it was recorded in the eighties. Um, it wasn't cause the band had not formed at that point, but, um, yeah, anyway, there's several, pro- it sounds like several different producers. I cannot find producer credits for the album on the internet, but, um, it, Rickshaw sounds the bass in that song sounds bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's way too. It's it's not like it's overwhelming. Like you can hear all the other instruments just fine, but it's it's compressed so fucking hard that you it, it's just way too present. Um, so yeah, I I agree that I feel like that song was meant to be a radio hit. Uh, Devil's Diary was the song that they that got the most push, which I think is. A good move it's not i think either hannah i locked you out or devil's diary is the best song on the album yeah it's, it's between the two of them um and devil's diary is the one that the label put out there awake on wednesday sounds so much like another song i cannot remember i spent all week trying to figure out what song it reminded me of 
because it is like almost a carbon copy of a song. I think Mob probably came out after this song <laughs> because it has all the, it has all of the material to be a much better song than it is. You know what? It's Idlewild. It sounds like an Idlewild song. Oh, really? I think I like Idlewild all right, but I, I hate that song. I, I think Awake on Wednesday is maybe. Well, OK, no, it's not. Sorry, I'll get to the worst song on the album later. But <laughs> it's one of the worst songs on the album. Devil's Diary opinion. has the most just women are stupid and terrible lyrics. Yeah. It, Followed by fucking Alex again. That song. Alex again is like proto-manic pixie dream girl except it's like asshole pixie dream girl yeah it's like i think he's singing it's just about like someone... a song about a shitty girl it's not like women suck and in fact it's like he he's very like he admires the shitty girl but it's just like about this girl who treats everyone she meets like garbage and he seems to think that makes her really cool hmm I like Alex again a lot. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. No, no, that's fine. It's, it's probably it. my third favorite. But, um... Yeah, so this is, like... The thing that's so 90s about this album... Because I still contend it sounds more like the Smithereens 80s stuff than it does, like, Weezer. Um, it, it, but lyrically, in, in the... The perspective of the lyrics is just so, like, Gen X cynical slacker. Yeah. And, but it's, it's not the, it's not like a Kevin Smith slacker who is just like, yeah, I'll fucking work at this convenience store because what else am I going to do? It's like the slacker who is like, well, I know secretly I'm like the smartest person in the world, but I just can't be bothered because I'm so smart I realize that everything's pointless. Like, it's that kind of slacker. Yeah, person, I have absolutely no time for it. It's, it, yeah, it, it, like if you, this is, I think this is one of those albums where our age gap is going to like really influence how we see it, because for me, this is just like, it, I hate that, like, this sort of like sneering, shitty, cynical take, but also it's like, man, I this takes me back to fucking high school. Like, I remember when everyone acted like this. It, like having lived through it, it it doesn't bother me as much. I, I can I can evaluate it as being like really shitty now, but like at the time this came out, like I mean, it, it, my it's... friends and I when like I bought this album because I because it just showed up in the record store that we frequented frequented one day, and I was like, here's a thing I've never heard of, I'll buy it, and we just like. This was like constantly in all of our cars for the whole summer. It just like we it, it's it, very it it's very summer jammery. Yeah, um, and then we never listened to it again after that. Which is what summer jams are like. Like you listen to them for the summer and then you're done. And that's the Caulfields only had two albums. So yes. John Fay went on to have like several other bands and do solo stuff. And I listened to his solo stuff, and it's I, I like it. I think it's good. It still. It still kind of sounds like this. He sounds so. What I so what I was thinking, and I don't think I would be surprised if this is actually the case. But this band is proto Death Cab for Cutie. Oh yeah, no, I can I can definitely see that. You can definitely see Ben Gibbard having listened to this. It, it's so like forgotten that I doubt he really did. But man, it it definitely feels like it. Yeah. No, that 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 makes sense, and. So 
I have a lot of misgivings about this album, but I don't necessarily think it's bad. I just think through the lens of the 21st century, it's like, oh, gross. Mm -hmm. And people grew the fuck up in the five years, even, after this album was made. Between 95 and 2000, people had the conversation about a lot of topics was changing. And 95 was like almost the last blissful year of the 90s. It was not a good year, but the music coming out of it was somewhat more naive. And this definitely sounds like that nihilistic, like, Gen X naivete. It's like, it, it's, we, our problems are so singular and grounded on what we're every day right now. Don't worry about it. And that mentality it was immediately blown the fuck up. And it's, so I can, I can, so I don't, I don't have the life experience you have for this, but I can see it from a cultural perspective as, as being someone who reads and listens and watches things set in the early 90s. And from that point, it's, it's not the worst, but all music is fucking talking out their ass. Yeah. All Again. music rate, rate gave this a four and a half star rating, which is like, Kind of ridiculously over the top. I bet. I bet whoever listened to that album was like, "Yeah, I really hate that girl." I read the review, and it it sounds like they barely listened to the album. No, that's. A- I mean, it's like two a two sentence review that it's like, kind of sounds like Elvis Costello. It's great. <laughs> that's about the extent of the review. Um, but I've I've noticed I've I've been reading more all music reviews because of doing this show, and I've noticed that they most of most all music reviews read like the person didn't actually even finish listening to the album. So, because there was a there was a very much like web culture thing of don't don't listen to the whole album, and but so speaking of someone who has reviewed things for for money. There's no excuse to not listen to an album all the way, because that takes, what, an hour of your life? Yeah, I mean, we complain constantly about how long albums are, but we listen to them multiple times and yeah, before we do this show. We're trying We're trying to get... I listen, So, my personal sake is that I listen to each album six times. And sometimes I fail on that. I'll listen to it maybe four times before I just can't anymore, but I'll write my notes down. So at least twice, y'all. At least twice. That's two hours of your life. If that's your job, like, what, you got four albums a day? Like, just... I used to play video games for a living. I I reviewed video games, and I reviewed primarily role-playing games. Those shits start at 50 hours. So in that defense, you can do, like, okay, I played most of this game. I can tell you what the game's about, and then I do my, my after... Uh, commentary, which is a fuller, more full review. There is no excuse to not listen to a whole goddamn album. At least once. Well, you might get to the song Fragile and decide to turn the album off. Yeah, that's a bad Which would song. be a completely justified... Fragile is so bad. Fragile... I, I remember... Fragile, I'm, I'm tempted to say Fragile is the worst song we've listened to for the show, but I then I think back to Space Hog and how... Awful the song Space Hog is. So it's, it's not Hog. as bad as Space Hog. But, but it's right. God damn, it's a bad fucking song. No, so when I was listening to this in my car, I picked my phone up at a stoplight and was like, what the fuck is this? So- oh. Okay. Make a note, this song is terrible. But also, in some ways, is like. 
it, it really makes me wonder if like how big religion was in his upbringing i mean it definitely sounds that way from that song because where is he from um so the little bit of his bio on his website says that he is his father was irish and his mom's korean but he is fr- he grew up in delaware hmm. so basically american well, Delaware is um, not exactly not conservative place. Yeah, and I mean, there's a really, like, kid who, who grew up conservative Christian and wasn't quite over it bent to these lyrics. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the attitudes towards women, the but then the cynicism, and, but then Fragile is this whole song about, like, losing his faith, but then, I mean, I do kind of like the the, the way it wraps up, where he says... Because I just because I can't believe in you doesn't mean I don't like that's a relatable like as somebody who grew up in a conservative Christian household and is now an atheist that's like definitely a stage you go through on the way to atheism like like oh this is all wrong but I have to believe um and you you know you get through it or you don't but it's it's maybe the most like insightful line on the album but also in by far the worst song on the album yes absolutely um yeah and the reason it's i mean just to be clear the reason it's so bad is it's like it's this like 80s pop ballad in the middle of the song in the middle of the 80s pop ballad in the middle of this album of 90s alt rock yeah like it's all like keyboard like synth pads and shit um it's, it's it's totally out of place and probably incredibly important to to this guy at the, at the, at the point it was written. But like it, everything about this album tries too hard. If you want to hear the same song done way better, listen to "Eye of the Needle" by Divine Comedy. Yes, which much is like, better. I hold that up as like the best, like losing your faith song that I've ever heard, and is written. It's extremely expressive of, like, the struggle that you go through losing your faith, but not cringy at all. Yeah, like, the cars in the churchyard are shiny and German with strictly at odds with the, with the theme of the sermon. Yeah. Like, like that's a good fucking line, and it's incredibly relevant to now. And it's, yeah. Now, so this, this whole album just feels kind of half-baked and of a time- which is deeply entrenched in 1995. And I, it's like, it's not bad, but like, if you're not in 1995 and want to have a fun summer with it, like, it's not gonna be. It's, it's worth your time. One of the first, like, po- first albums I listened to that I would really call post grunge, though. Like, this is not a grunge album. No. Um, it's very polished, it's very melodic, like there's a focus on songwriting and song structure that grunge records did, don't tend to have. It, you know, like, every song doesn't end with, like, guitars fading out until they feed back. Like, it, it's it's not a grunge record, it's, it's definite, it's too polished for that. It's not as gimmicky as Weezer. Um, it, it's definitely a songwriter-based band. Um... And there are some really good songs on it. We haven't talked about Hannah, I Locked You Out, and I don't really know what to s- necessarily to say about it. It's just a another catchy, song written for the radio. Catchy, hooky pop song that, that would not be out of place as like 
musically you could almost replace the friends theme song like the lyrics wouldn't work but like i want to see that show hannah <laughs> i locked you out as a show like <laughs> I, I want i want to see the the show where the, every episode ends on hannah being locked out of something and i also think the song disease like that one is kind of interesting mm-hmm. because it sort of we're gonna we talked about pedophilia too much on the show, and we're going to talk about pedophilia tonight, mm-hmm. especially on our next album. Mm-hmm. Um, and Disease talks about pedophilia, but it, it talks about pedophile panic in a way that is like prescient, I think. Well, um, so like the 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 critical thing to know about the '90s, particularly the early '90s, is that it was still in the, the crux of the satanic panic, which was giving way to just. So the early 80s, it was more just like, pedophiles exist. And then that gave way to, like, satanic ritual abuse accusations and all this nonsense. So by the time 1995 rolls around, like, yeah, people are still, like, aware that pedophiles exist and are terrified of it. And the the satanic panic part is starting to slide a little bit, unless you're in a super conservative background. But, like, depending on how old this guy was... When this album was made he probably was very aware of that part too yeah and i would guess that he's like mid-20s on this album yeah that's, that's what it sounds like to me like early to mid-20s um but yeah like, like that's a that's a take you didn't hear on out i mean it's kind of a take you still don't hear of like hey be careful because you could make an innocent gesture that people just completely decide to ruin your life over um and I think that song kind of goes off the rails when it tries to talk about, when it transitions into talking about race relations. Mm. Um, in the way I think that Where Are They Now gets off on a real bad foot. Yeah. With the line about comparing concentration camps to living in the suburbs. Um, yeah. That's real, that's bad. That's that's one you should probably not perform anymore. Um, I don't, that's a risk. Yeah. No, they they actually had a they had a, I looked at John Faye's website and they had to cancel a reunion show that was supposed to have happened this month. Wow, who was going to go to that? They're just you using, know, if, just, if they using... had come through town, I would have gone to see the coffee. Oh my god, I would not have gone. I would have tutted from the back. <laughs> what is the underwater world of Asia acts about? I have no idea. The Underwater World of Asia X. That's a weird-ass song, too. It is a weird-ass song. That's the weirdest song in the album. Yeah, it's just... Like, I I always read it as being about, like, him having a fling with a much older woman. and I. But then, like, listening to the lyrics again, I don't know where I got that idea. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's confusing. I mean, it's just him singing about a woman who i presume is asian who lives downstairs and he has water themed sex with but Mm. she won't tell anyone her name and yeah i don't know it's a weird song i don't want that yeah anytime you start singing about deep soul kisses yep 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 yep. so we got one of those people who wants everything to just be we fucked don't tell me about your deep soul kisses with your lover. Oh God! Can we just rank this album now and get <laughs> get through this? Because I'm I'm done with this Caulfield's album. It's fine. 
but it's not good. I, I like it as a 90s curiosity, and I think that it would not be a bad fit between Cobra and Faces group and Monster. Yeah, that's fair. That's a, that's absolutely fair. That's almost dead center of our of our list. It's on the low end. Yeah, I mean, if we had one, if we're gonna have sixteen today. Yeah. So if it's the new number, that would make it the new number ten. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's better than Monster because it's more listable. But even though Monster has "What's the Frequency, Kenneth," which is the only redeemable song from that album. This one, if you just heard it, you wouldn't be as more like, what the fuck is Michael Stipe's? Oh, no, that's gross. <laughs> this song is, this album's gross in a completely different way. Yeah, this album isn't, uh, like, John Fay is definitely a more attractive man than, than Michael Stipe. Um, <laughs> if we're going to talk about dick thrusting and who's dick thrusting we'd rather see, I, I, that's an easy choice for me. That's fair. Um, but, like, I, fortunately I think, he doesn't really talk about dick thrusting. No, but I think overall it's a more, it works more as an album that you could just sit and listen to. It's more consistent than Monster, yeah. for sure. It's it's a better power pop album than Monster is a, hey, look, we decided that we're gonna act like rock stars now. Yeah, no, no, it's fair. Like cock rock album. So. I think that's a good place for it. New number 10. Okay, well that was easier than I expected. I thought I'd have to fight you. No, fuck no, that's fine. As long as it's not above... <laughs> sparks we were gonna oh, be fine no god no no come on exactly like i knew have, you have were... more faith in me than that well no that's why i was not gonna fight you because anywhere if it was below sparks i wasn't gonna give a shit so yeah okay so that works for me whirly gig by the caulfields is our new number 10 um i don't know how long it'll stay there let's uh take a break and come back and find out the second half of the show and our second album of the show this week is from 1990 and it is carved in sand by the mission or the mission uk uh adrian what's the deal with these nerds uh so they're a goth band this is our first goth album of of our show and uh two founding members of this band were in the early stages of the sisters of mercy and I personally believe that the Sisters of Mercy and the Mission, also known as the Mission UK, depending on where you are, because there's an American band called the Mission. So typically, if you're in America, the Mission is called the Mission UK. Yeah. Anyway. Let's just call them the Mission. They're the Mission. Uh, they're also very formative in a certain kind of more outside the club goth. It's more like, let's say goth is a lifestyle. The kind of goths that wear breezy clothing in the summer but still have a very dark aesthetic. Like, the goths that perhaps listen to too much Johnny Cash. And, you know, the Mission UK, the Mission are my kind of goths. And I admit it, and it's fine. But this album is their first time of the 90s, and in a weird state. The ni- 90s in goth is a weird state. Because industrial goth was really heavy, and then tribal goth was becoming a bigger thing. And then Voltaire happened and we're like, okay. But the mission stays the course as being on the side with Peter Murphy and just kind of their own thing. I feel like this this kind of goth 
phased out real fast. I don't think it did because it, they... like I feel like it went. I feel like the battle between the mission UK or the mission and uh, Dead Can Dance was won by Dead Can Dance. Like if you're gonna do world music, just fucking go all in. But see, there's enough Peter Murphy here, and they were doing this before Peter Murphy left the house. The were they? Yeah, the house was still going in 1990. This this is not their first album. Oh right, right, right. This is like the mission is from yeah, the mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. So like Murphy was still with Bahaus at that that time, and then the, and their early albums in the eighties sound very similar. So my favorite Mission album is Children, which was nineteen eighty seven, and I really desperately want to do that album because it informs all of their music afterward, but we can't. So this is the next best thing. And I forgot what the, name, the title of this album was. Carved in Sand. Yes, Carved in Sand. I can't remember. It's yeah, a, it's, it's, it's because it should, seems like it should be carved in stone. Yeah, but they're going for, at least with one song, they're trying to invoke, they have a sitar, they're trying to invoke, a, you know, foreign locales. Trying to invoke Dear Prudence. Yeah. Look. So <laughs> Susie, yeah, Susie also has some part yeah, of this. every goth band was way into George Harrison in the... 80s and early 90s yeah that's fair but yeah no the miss so i'm going to say that the mission write goth lyrics and when we further this discussion goth lyrics exist in their own universe where they are full of fantasy depression intrigue and nonsense and we kind of accept it in writing that rattlesnake <laughs> and nonsense so I, I just I give goth lyrics a lot of pa- a lot of room, except for you know really bad lyrics. Most of the lyrics on this album are totally okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Like not- it, it, the reason I I call them nerds is because it's very you know he he expressly refers to the fairy queen in one song. Um, this is some real. Like, this is some real Wiccan shit, which is really funny because the the front man for the band grew up a Mormon, mm-hmm. and then when he left Mormonism, he went all in on the fairies and Mistress the- of Avalon cast a spell and let the mist draw down on me. So, look, my favorite song on the album is "Sea of Love," which is not a bad song. No, at because all. I actually really like this the these. F- this fire part in the chorus is like, and my ship set set sail for the, that resting place, a ship of dreams on the sea of love. And if wishes were stallions, then kisses are galleons, and dreamers sail on the sea of love. Like that's dumb. It's very adamant. But the I love adamant. So yeah, the way that that hits when that because the song is like kisses, if wishes are stallions, then kisses. Galleons. Uh, you're making like, this way more of a musical than it is. You no, know, I'm doing it without the beat, but like it's it's faster than that. But like, it's it's good. It's good. It's it. I don't know. That's it's, it. so like one band that you didn't mention who is a major influence on this is the Cult. Yes, this is the Cult meets Dead Can Dance. I mean, it's it's obviously like this is an offshoot of the Sisters of Mercy. Um. And it has the like sort of driving rhythms that Sisters of Mercy had, and it, it is sort of like talk rock goth, but it's it's nowhere near as talk rock as as Sisters of Mercy. Yeah. Um. 
like this dude is not nearly as up his own ass as Andrew Eldridge is. Um, <laughs> I, I like this quite a bit more than I like the sisters, honestly. Like I, I don't hate the Sisters of Mercy, but yeah, so this, I don't want to listen to them was... for very long, and their songs are all like twenty minutes long. So they formed in '86. So yeah. the cult had been around since '83. And yeah, that, really? that makes. I thought the cult was around in the seventies. Well, the, the where's the thing I just read the eighty three, but oh. anyway, um, yeah, no, like they're they're a they're a mid wave goth band. Oh, right, they're a southern death cult before that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, they're a mid wave goth band and goth that came so like Susie and the Cure and the House to some extent. They were all seven late seventies to early eighties. And they were just like, huh, punk, what? And they're the formative sound for goth. And then sisters came out of fucking nowhere and you're just like, hmm, Lucretia, my reflection, dance the ghost with me. And then, but that's Floodlands, and that's not even that early, but poignant. Uh, but the mission is just... They like their they like their guitars to sound vaguely. They want them to sound like guitars, but have a, an ethereal touch to them. They want everything to be walking this and that from like the fairy plane, and they get that's a real consistent vibe. But they also there's a lot of acoustic guitar. There's a lot of that, acoustic that, guitar. That like, tells you a lot, like about the difference between this and sisters. Yeah, is that this is more there's more texture to it. I mean, sisters is just all driving rock songs. And this has more, like, wispiness and ethereal touches to it than, than the sisters. Yes, and that and that's really... Which probably explains why I like it as much as I do. Yeah. And, and really, none of their songs stand out super much. I think Into the Blue is really good. Into the Blue is very good. Um, So I like the song Amelia, despite itself. So, yeah, this I... album just kicks right off with... with you know, disease talked about be careful, you know, be careful that you that you don't, like, give that little girl a piece of candy. This just kicks off with, Amelia, your daddy is coming for you. Yeah. And, uh, so damn. This, yeah, the, the song fucking rocks, but... It's a, that's a, a move to, to put your song about child molestation, just kick off the album with it. I think... He- and I, it's not pro-child molestation. No, it's very clear. much it's like, your daddy very, can go to hell. Damn like, your daddy to hell is one of the lines. It's literally the last line of the song. It's, damn it's, your daddy to hell! So, like, pedophilia is obviously, like, a horrible, like, one of the most horrible things in the world. British people are fucking insane about it, though. Like, can we agree on that? That, like, British people think everyone is a pedophile? Because that's, like, where a lot of, like, British transphobia comes from. Is like, oh, clearly trans people must all be pedophiles because everyone that we don't understand must be a pedophile. Well, I think that comes from a place where the only discussions of queer issues were from a pedophilic lens. Like, the only gay people you saw were old men in universities and boarding schools taking advantage of attractive young young students. Yeah, and, and I get that that's like a real thing. But also, it just I feel like there has always been this like hyper-awareness among British people well, and then British celebrities, especially, and, and then there's like you know Roman history, and it's all look. I think everyone's fucked up about pedophilia to some degree, and it's a reason. It's a reasonable thing to be concerned about. Yes, 
because it clearly still fucking happens and it's gross and terrible and people but because it's gross and terrible people use it as a defense for everything if like i have a shitty opinion because there could be pedophiles i'm like yeah it's like a real godwin's law kind of thing like like everyone gets compared to Hitler, unless you're arguing with a British person. Because it's, it's, an, a it's an unfathomable, unfathomable, unfathomable. Uh, anyway, <laughs> unfathomable evil is that what you're trying thing. to say? Thing, the thing is what I was going to say. Unfathomable thing, because it is a horror that you, if you are not entrenched in it, you cannot conceive of. Yeah, like you cannot think. Like, I personally can't be like that. Child is attractive. I cannot do that. Yeah, and no, so that's a that's a that's a lurking horror in the minds of people. And that's why it's so powerful and has this conviction around it. Because if it's if it's an or a horror that you cannot identify or know, it must be pedophilic. And that's not necessarily the case, but it is increasingly the case for the way that, like, look at Law and Order SVU for example. Like their most like hardcore episodes or about like rings of pedophiles and i think that like the reason it rubs me the wrong way is that it's the same as that um mitchell and webb did about the boy with an ass for a face Mm -hmm. it's like we're going to you know let you take a good long look at the freak under the guise of of educating you yeah like it, it definitely has that feeling to it of just like it's super exploitative and super like oh don't you want to see the like gross underbelly of society while we tell you how awful it is yeah and like it, but it's uh, but the old, the underlying theme is always but don't you want to look like don't you want to see yeah and, and- like I, I don't respect peter sotos but i respect peter sotos more than that in a way because he doesn't try to pretend that that's not what he's doing he's very explicit that that's what he's doing and it's it i don't know it's it's not that i think that the people taking a moral stand against it don't mean it it's just that it's like sometimes the moral stance and I, i feel that way about amelia it it just gets like lurid in a way that I don't think it needs to be. So I think the 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 singer for this band really gives a shit about the problem though. Yeah. And I don't I don't know his history, but like the the topic of protecting children has come up frequently in all, all across the missions. Well, look at the Tower of Love video that we watched before this mm-hmm. where the entire video is the story of him dressing up as a priest and rescuing a child from the devil. Yeah, so I think so when I mentioned satanic panic before, I that was still that was also rife in the UK around the same time. And so I think that that is also prevalent in these lyrics and I think that that is been at the heart of some of the missions subject matter in the, in the in the past i didn't mean to make this a satanic panic podcast but it's it's relevant it's, it's, rel- it's relevant to the 90s and my current mode of research so it's the imagery is there and i wanted you to watch uh tower of strength because i think it informs why amelia is so strong and direct it, i don't think this is a one-off song i think that he gives a big fuck about people being terrible to children yeah and, and there are also um like are the running theme throughout the album is like i believe in dreams you know the power of dreams and definitely like molestation is a thing that robs children of the innocence and the ability to have that kind of the kind of dreams that he's like championing here so yeah, I, I get i get it from that 
extent it's just i don't know i i think that it's it's heavy-handed like i said it's heavy-handed it's it's not particularly artful it, it's like um uh there's a song by lush called the child catcher that's like a really good song but it's all similarly just like so about so like not graphic but so heavy-handed that it's just like yeah this is like artless even though you made a catchy song about it yeah but anyway there's a lot a lot better stuff on this album oh yeah yeah uh butterfly on a wheel is hokey but i I, yeah i don't like that one I, i like that song it's too 80s power ballad for me I mean the the worst song on the album is Grapes of Wrath and I will Grapes give you, of Wrath is is in my opinion the worst song of the week because it's longer than Fragile. Yeah. It's as it's as bad as Fra- if it were the same length as Fragile I'd say they're tied but it's a lot longer and so it wins the the worst song of the week award for me. But everything else on this album is like you I was we I was trying to assemble a garden planter yesterday while listening to this in the backyard. <laughs> so what is the what is the like fuck my rattlesnake all night long song we have to talk about that oh god i don't i don't remember the name of it is it deliverance no deliverance is um believe in magic believe in lore legend and myth uh, yeah see i liked that song yeah that that one's fine i think i'm gonna let me do paradise also not it, but it's Hey Sister Moonchild, the wolf is howling at the moon. He howls long, he howls loud, howling for you, Sister Moon. <laughs> so this guy was going full pagan, it's fine. So maybe as hungry as the as the hunter. No, it's it's definitely not hungry as the hunter. It's it, it was the one you were just reading. Is it? Yeah. Hungry as the Hunter is also really good. Um, it sounds like it should be on the Lost Boys. Somewhere. Oh, hey, Sister Moonshine, ride the snake with me. Ride it long and ride it long, ride it hard, ride it all the way with me. Hey, Sister Moon, dance charm the snake for me, which is very like Kiss sisters. Kiss me till my honey drips. It's also very like Sisters of Mercy kind of lyrics. It's so embarrassing. It's the fucking episode of Ab Fab with the gardener, where she fucks the gardener and he starts like talk, talking about like calling her as like goddess of the hearth or whatever charm it charm it long charm it hard charm the skin from its back for me <sighs> no me don't don't fuck until your dick skin comes off it's <laughs> 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 bad get some lube and paradise will come tonight in the comfort of your arms and the ritual and the right. And the paradise shines so brightly, me a dance of veil in the silver of the moonlight in paradise. But like musically, I like this song. Oh yeah, this like, song it's, is it's just fine. like an acoustic guitar and vocals track. This but... is an example of a goth song just being a fucking goth song. A lot of goth lyrics are gross and weird. And yeah, it's just worse when it's about sex because, like, I, I firm—I mean, like I said before—I firmly believe that you cannot write about sex and have it not be embarrassing. I've never read anyone like the the least embarrassing it gets is if you just go pornographic with it. Yeah, that's why like Louis the Fourteenth works because like they're just gross, but they're yeah. they, they. I mean, just say, "Hey, baby, let's fuck." Like that's so much less embarrassing than charm the snake all night long. Yeah, just don't. Don't get whimsical about a thing that we don't need to be whimsical about. Uh, 
No, it's not whimsical. It's it's like it's embarrassing and funny, and like it, not embarrassing in a bad way. It's just like completely like it's not graceful. It's like sex is like the least graceful thing humans can do, and that doesn't mean it's bad. It means you should have a fucking sense of humor about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, this album is not particularly dancey because this was the mode of goth. It was like, you know what? Not everything needs to be a club song. This and is the, um, I don't know if you saw this ever. This was kind of like an earlier internet thing. But like, did you ever see the like list of goth dances? Yes. Like the digging a hole, you're digging a grave, lost my contact lens, washing your hair. This is a washing your hair album. Oh, very this, much. You, you do the washing your hair dance to this album. Yeah, you sort of just like flow and you're moving your hair. And it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah, and that's that's what it wants you to do. And I, I like it. I mean, I listen to a lot of goth music because that is part of me. I'm gonna be a thousand year old goth it's yeah fine. we we both had well i i would not say a phase i mean we both still like goth yeah, we're both we're both goth as shit natalie we can't really i'm i'm, I'm not in my fashion I'm i a, can't I'm, I'm way too tomboyish to i can't bring myself to dress up that much <laughs> yeah i i'm a i'm a goth dandy it's fine yeah like but uh, but I still like the music. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't like this album, that I don't like the sisters at all. That, that you know. And sometimes goth music just hits. Like when you feel yeah. like shit, and you're just like, yeah. Like when when Susie, like there's some early like Susie the Banshee stuff where I'm just like, yes. When she's angry, I'm angry, and it just feels great. And this is one of those albums that it feels like summer to me in a lot of ways, and I think that's why it was on my mind. That the mission has a very summery feel to me. Yeah, see, this feels October as shit to me. But then I guess if I think about it, most goth music does. Mm -hmm. But for me, like, it has a very just like Sea of Love in particular is just like a very airy something you want. There's a concept of like what you listen to invoking a a, a, diff a different feel of temperature. And while I don't believe that as much, I do like listening to airy songs in the summer because it just makes everything feel a little more tempor like temporary and light. And I frequently put the mission songs on out on soundtracks for for the summer because it just feels right. And Sea of Love is one of those that's always on my playlists. So it it, it was it, it it's goth to be warm to it's like it, it's the mission is not as i guess if you don't look at the full spectrum of goth dead can dance is, is more directly influential on this in this mode but i feel the mission and the de dead can dance are equally at play with the rise of world music in goth mm -hmm. and they were just doing it a little more with we're gonna add british folklore into this yeah and, and they do some percussion that that is like world music-y yes and like it's not just that there's a sitar on one song it's, yeah it's, you know there are there are little touches here and there whereas dead can dance is just full-on like iranian folk music half the time yeah which later led to just straight up tribal goth which continues to happen and it's what every annoying belly dancer you've ever known who's not you know of a middle eastern descent uh listens to but not everyone, but you know who you are. We see you. <laughs> we don't condemn you. This is a safe space for 
goth belly dancers. Is it? As long as you can laugh at yourself. Yeah. As long as that's... you can laugh at the fact that you're a goth belly dancer, like, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But yeah, that, so that's what this album is. It is it is for the person who wears turtlenecks and billowy sweaters and has long since given up the hairspray in favor of more refined asymmetrical cuts and braids. It is a goth that is trending towards hippie but is refusing to go that far because... This to, is very hippie shit, though. Like, this it is. This is shit so hippie. So hippie shit. It is hippie shit, but it's still goth. And goth hippies different they are not going to go quite as far there's going to be some dragon's blood mixed in with the patchouli <laughs> well are we ready to rank this one yeah all right what's your what's your call on that uh i think it's above stereo lab mm. but below gratuitous sex i think it's below stereo lab and above whirly gig yeah i could i could deal with that I think it's better than Stereo Lab because I want to listen to it, but like, I think in the grand pantheon of things, it's probably below that Stereo Lab album. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely just... I like Cobra and Phase's Root more than this, but also, like, this was a style of music that was rapidly fading when this album came out. And, like, and they did, like, eight more albums in the uh, 90s yeah, of this, so but, but, like, buckle you had up. To be, you had to be grandfathered in. Like, you couldn't start a new band that sounded like this and be wildly successful by, by the 90s. And I would like, say they weren't ever really wildly successful. Like, they just... Yeah, I don't know. I just, like, I feel like... They Goths, started the bad trend of... Goth got way more industrial. Which and, is a fort to... It's, a real problem with goth and one of the reasons that people think goth is dead because it just became so industrial because it became like rosetta stone and shit like as the 90s went on it was all you know 12 inch club mixes but that's goth is getting a comeback there there are more people making goth music particularly goth music sounds like this and people who are invoking Susie. not so much the house because i don't think anyone can do yeah, that correctly. Susie was like the Madonna of goth, though, because like she knew how to change with the times. Yes, like already, like the album Susie me. was putting out at this point sounded nothing like early Susie. No, and that, and that's fine because that's how you grow. And yeah, oh, it was much better than early Susie, in my opinion. But I think it's it's hit or miss. I think there's some really good early Susie and some really good later Susie. But yeah, this album is fine. Like it's it's middle of the list. It's better than that Caulfield album for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely better. I just don't think it's I I, I don't think it's better than Stereo Lab, but I do agree it's better than Whirly Gig. Okay, so the Whirly Gig was the new number ten, and now <laughs> yeah. that's why I said maybe it won't be number ten for long. It's... But uh, Carved in Sand by the Mission slash Mission UK is the new number ten. I'm fine with that. I think that's a reasonable place for it, and I would fight harder for that, but I'm going to drop a bomb next week, so it's fine. <laughs> well, I am too. So so what are you bringing next week? I'm bringing Marcy Playground by Marcy Playground. All right, and so originally you had said that you were going to do um, Black Tie, White Noise by David Bowie next week. And so my original idea was, well, I need to bring a white noise album, and therefore we're going to get Merzbow on this list. But then um, I decided that I would ease you in, and uh, we're going to do 
the first album by Love's Lies Crushing Blow Eyelash Wish, which is a much more pretty shoegazy kind of noise than than Mersbaugh. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. We so, can do that. We can do the white noise, uh, black tie, white noise later. I just started listening to this Mercy Playground album again and have some feelings. Yeah, so um, that's that's your listening for next week. If you're listening along with us, and those um, will be added to the playlist shortly. Yes. What is the playlist called? I don't think we ever mentioned it on the uh, show. In our before. 1990s, you just search playlists in our in our 1990s, and it will show up in a playlist on Spotify. Also. If you want to start linking it on the, the website, that'd probably be a good idea. Yeah, I should do that. Because anything that is on Spotify, we're going to put on the list. And we usually put the version that we want to listen to. So if it's an expanded version, I'm not putting the full expanded version on the playlist. Because yeah. it's what I'm listening to as I drive. And if you want to just be a fucking disaster person and hit shuffle on this thing, you're in for a time. Yeah, I mean, that's the 90s were a time. Everything sounded different in the 90s. Yeah, I tried to shuffle this playlist before because it's like it's several hours now. Yeah, because it's full albums. Because every album in the '90s was too fucking long. Yeah, but it's it's. I was just like, I, man, this is torture. We have two followers, so <laughs> somebody likes it. Hey, all right. So yeah, next week, Marcy Playground and Love's Lies Crushing, and um, I think that is all we got for this week. As always, you can see the full. Oh, I guess I should read the read all our top ten since it has changed. All right, so now our new number 10, Carved in Sand by The Mission. Number 9 is Cobra and Phase's group play Voltage in the Milky Night by Stereolab. Number 8, Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins by Sparks. Number 7, Reaching a New Refutation of Time and Space by Datable Planets. Number 6, What to Do About Them by Swirlies. Number 5, What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis. Number 4, Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Number 3, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number two, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. And still at number one, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. And if you want to see the full rankings, which we're now up to 16, um, we're, getting, we're getting there. We're, we're sticking with this shit. Yes. Um, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s, that is in our 1990s, and we will be back next week with two more records. Yeah.